Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 6, 2023, including E3 is not dying, but rather is now dead. We finally have a slightly more affordable storage alternative for Xbox Series consoles. Another notable gaming brand is trying their hand at a dedicated portable gaming system a la Steam Deck, and more. On this day in gaming history, in the year 2006, 17 years ago, Microsoft Game Studios acquired Lionhead Studios. A little different, we're not talking about a specific game, but pretty pertinent. The acquisition of Lionhead Studios was made by Microsoft, by Xbox. Now, Lionhead Studios, you might be asking yourselves if you're a younger, newer Xbox gamer, who are those guys? Why does that sound familiar? What, what do they matter? Those were the fa- that's that's the Mag Daddy baby. That's that's Fable. Those are the guys that used to make a Fable game, um, but they didn't make car games, and they could make it in under twenty years. Uh, Lionhead, yeah, they made. Well, actually, I I, I first had exposure to them on PC uh, with their with their God Sim games, uh, Black and White, Black and White Two. I loved those games. I really loved Black and White Two. I played a lot of that game growing up, which is weird. That's not really a genre I played around with a whole lot, but I don't I don't know what happened. My older brother somehow introduced that game to our lives, and then. I specifically remember. I think I think Black and White Two was the first PC game that I ever bought. I don't again. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, uh, Black and White Two, very good game. More famous in the Xbox uh, ecosystem and, and sphere of the world for the Fable series, one of the quintessential platform-defining exclusive titles, exclusive franchises for the Xbox. The masterfully regarded, top-tier, A plus, ten out of ten Fable. Uh, released back on the original Xbox, and then Fable 2 and Fable 3, which were the follow-up games, both released on Xbox 360. I, I feel like 3 is always like kind of a mixed bag on reception, and then 2, there are some people who are divided, but generally people agree it's pretty great. And then they did like that Fable Journey game for Kinect, which was like, you know, Kinect, and then they they were working on a Fable Heroes game. I don't even remember what kind of game that was going to be. It was some kind of like strategy here. I don't. Even, I, I honestly God, don't remember. I'd be lying if I sat here and tried to tell you what game it was supposed to be. I don't know if it was supposed to be like like a MOBA, like League of Legends or something. I don't remember. But yeah, that was kind of like a what the fuck's happening here, development hell situation. And then I believe in 2014, none other than our boy Phil Spencer uh, went out and shut him down. Shut, shut down Linehead, disbanded the team. That was a huge Xbox story in the early Xbox One days. Yeah, I mean, that legendary famous studio founded by legendary famous games icon Peter Molyneux of Xbox fame, Microsoft fame, EA fame, Linehead. So this guy's got a massive resume, huge notoriety. And then, yeah, this this uh, Linehead's a weird one because we're far enough removed from this, this part of Xbox history where it's like it doesn't necessarily feel like this modern relevant part of the Xbox story. But at the same time, this is 
this is one of the quintessential Xbox first party teams. And honestly, I think most people would 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 um, regard as the biggest the biggest mistake Microsoft made as, as far as like studios that were shuttered, although they haven't, you know, they haven't shuttered too many studios. But this one was a huge like I, I think even Xbox kind of re- realizes like maybe Lionhead should have stuck around. Maybe it needed a little direction, you know, considering considering the fact that Microsoft is so good at letting a company, uh, letting a game, game dev just kind of take a bunch of money meander about and release pretty much nothing for an unlimited amount of time. I feel like modern Xbox may not have shuttered Lionhead the way that 2014 Xbox uh, did. Or, yeah, maybe it was 2015, 2016. Maybe it was a little more recent. Regardless, uh, let's 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 move on with life. Shout out to shout out to Lionhead. Your IP lives on in that uh, playground games. The Forza Horizon dev is of course famously working on a reboot, reimagining of the Fable franchise, which I know we're all very excited to learn more about and see in action and find out if and when it's ever coming out. But boy, 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 you gotta be patient for that. But yeah, shout out to Lionhead. Gone but not forgotten. Guys, let's talk about the notable games releasing this week on the Xbox platform. There's only one really notable one, and it's Meet Your Maker. This is a new game from Behavior Interactive, also better known as the guys that made Dead by Daylight. And this game's out now. It is a, it's kind of weird. It looks kind of like, like a Doom clone type game, but it's not like really Doom at all. It's a raiding, crafting FPS game. I don't know. It sounds nothing like something I would play, but the, I, I must admit the game does aesthetically look really cool. It kind of reminds me of like, if Doom 64, no, not Doom 64, I don't know, something something like Doom 64 and and uh, Rage 2, or not Rage 2, maybe Rage 1, kind of banged, or uh, throw a little Fallout in there. It's got a good aesthetic going on. Post-apocalyptic kind of wasteland, but underground little thing, and I don't know. I, I tried to watch a couple videos of it, read a little bit on it. It looks like the rating element of this game might be genuinely fun, but it is also about, like, building your own fortresses and bases and other players invading and trying to invade other players space i don't i don't want anything to do with any of that but nonetheless i'm sure this is a game that's going to resonate with a decent amount of people this developer behavior interactive has certainly made a name for themselves and i'm sure they have their fans although this is a massive departure from a horror-based uh game multiplayer game like dead by daylight i'm sure something will come of this so notable game now on Xbox, not in Game Pass, so you have to spend money for it. I think it's 20 30 bucks, something like that. Uh, but notable release nonetheless, even if it's not my cup of tea, I'm sure it's somebody's, so worth noting nonetheless. Guys, welcome to episode 201 of the Xbox On podcast. It's me, it's your it's your boy. Uh, this is the thing I sometimes call myself ironically, but for some reason my coworkers don't take it as ironic and they get offended or put off, but it's your daddy jesse d and uh (laughs) we're here for another fun-filled episode of xbox on a little bit of a weird week in that i I really was expecting that by this time today wednesday afternoon as i'm recording this some really notable news may have dropped by now but nope it's it's just been a pretty quiet week so we don't have any big activision updates as far as the microsoft deal is concerned other than last week's news about the cma you know, largely being like, yeah, our, our concerns have been addressed. We're pretty much, you know, in so many words saying we're pretty much okay with this deal going forward. Although we won't get an official update for about another month, but um, it seems like this this deal is all but greenlit overseas. And, and now it's just a matter of getting it through the uh, bureaucratic optical uh, pandering bullshit that is the uh, U.S. the U.S. regulatory system. So, 
yeah, I mean, this this deal seems like it's it's actually going to go through and it's actually moving along. Although there could be other other traps and uh, kind of stipulations along the road, but yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. Hey, take a week where you can get a week off from this never ending Activision Xbox news cycle. So we'll move from that. No corrections because I got nothing wrong, and that will put us right into the top of show. Our mild amusements stories like that, smaller stories that are kind of worth dabbling in a little bit. Updates, cor- um, no, no, I said no corrections, but we do have updates. We have a couple updates uh, because shortly after last week's episode went up, and I mean like an hour or two after last week's episode went up, two of the things we touched on last week were updated and confirmed. So, first one is and the smaller one of the two, Diablo Four. Uh, yes, it is getting an Xbox Series X bundle, as was leaked last week. So the Diablo 4 console bundle will launch alongside the actual game on June 6th. Priced at $560, US it includes a Series X, a wireless controller, and a copy of Diablo 4 for Xbox Series X and S and Xbox One. And the light bearer mount in compar- comparison of faith mount armor for Diablo 4. You fucking nerds. You fucking nerds. Uh, The bundle also includes bonus in-game items from other Blizzard titles. It comes with the Inarius Wings and Inarius Inarius Murloc pet from Diablo 3 for console and PC. comes with the Amalgam and Rage mount from World of Warcraft. It comes with the the Umber Winged Darkness cosmetic set for Diablo Immortal on mobile. Oh my god, guys. You can't can't not be pre-ordering a game when it comes with this kind of con that you just simply cannot refuse so god i cannot believe there are people in this world who are going to sit here and jerk off to diablo 4 all day and then still the audacity to make fun of me for having a little, a little crush a little innocent schoolgirl crush on on a on a blue hedgehog you know it's like, is, is it really that big of a of a crime you know what i'm saying but no i mean I, I think the big thing that sticks out here no one's surprised first of all that this bundle exists that or that the leak was real rather but the thing i think most people are kind of pointing to saying hmm that's weird is uh yeah, it, it comes with the game and the console, but there's no bundle discount. We're traditionally used to seeing, at least here in the States, when we, when there's a video game console bundle, usually the game is included in the cost. It costs whatever the MSRP or the suggested retail price of the console is, but the game's kind of included for free. In this case, you know, here in the States, an Xbox Series X runs you $500. For, so for the bundle to be 560 bucks, it sounds like they're just selling you the game and the console together in one combo. So no no financial savings or value there. Um, but, you know, it's, I guess it's a convenient way if you're planning on buying an Xbox to play Diablo Immortal. I guess it's a good way to pick it up. It's definitely good for marketing's sake because this helped this, you know, the Diablo marketing deal is with Xbox, so this helps further that kind of notion that, oh, Diablo is an Xbox title, kind of like how PlayStation usually gets every other game, like Call of Duty and Hogwarts Legacy, and you watch the Super Bowl and they do a commercial, and you're like, oh, I guess Hogwarts Legacy is a PlayStation game. So for I guess in that regard, good for them, but for the consumers, this doesn't really mean a whole lot of anything, um, except you do get your... Uh, uh, amalgam of rage mount from world of warcraft on pc so wow you guys simply simply must buy this bundle um all joking aside all, all poking fun at the blizzard fans the world of warcraft fans and the diablo fans i know people are super excited about this game apparently based on that open beta from the past couple weeks uh the game is phenomenal it's much better than even diablo 3 according to 
fans of the series, according from just getting a read on the internet. So, no doubt, I'm I'm happy for you guys. I, I will definitely give this game a go at some point. It's just, listen, man, I'm I'm not gonna buy Diablo Four for sixty bucks, knowing full well that I'm only gonna probably play it for like five hours and not be that into it. So I will just wait for it inevitably to come to Game Pass at the end of this year or sometime early next year after that Activision deal is finalized. So just I know to me it just makes more sense to just wait a couple months and play it on Game Pass than to uh you know th- that's not that's not a verification that that's exactly how that will work but my my guess is that this activision blizzard deal will probably wrap up sometime around i don't know my i I just keep telling myself around halloween or thanksgiving although that could be a little early and if that's the case within two or three months of that deal being wrapped up finalized signed and done uh we'll start to see some blizzard and activision titles trickle on into game pass as we saw with bethesda games shortly after that deal was uh, uh, you know finished up we got that huge announcement they're like boom all the fallout all the skyrim all the uh, all the dishonored it's on game pass so i'm waiting for that splash screen where they're just like we got motherfucking guitar hero and tony hawk and spider-man 2 and diablo and of course spider-man 2 won't be on the list but i'm just daydreaming uh and call of duty and all that just boom here it's on game pass enjoy spyro the reignited trilogy uh, a, a bundle that can commonly be found for nine ninety nine on sale on the Xbox Store now included in Game Pass, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'll, I'll give Diablo go or Diablo four a go probably around that time. That's just my guess is that's kind of how that's going to play out. So I assume between probably between November and March, November of this year, March of next year, a lot of Blizzard games, Activision games should be hitting Game Pass. It's my it's my it's just my bullshit prediction, but nonetheless. Our other update is, and this one this one kind of just nullifies the existence of last week. Honestly, if last week we weren't celebrating the 200th episode of Xbox On, um, the episode would be especially useless because like two hours after last week's episode went up and we talked all about how, oh, E3's dead. This is it. This is the nail in the coffin. Sega and Tencent are pulling out. No one's coming to this thing. Um, uh, <laughs> we got a story, and uh, yeah, we got the official confirmation that E3 2023 has been canceled. So uh, this is just the confirmation to the thing we just basically speculated about for 25 minutes last week. But the Entertainment Software Association, the ESA, the owners and show organizer uh, of the event traditionally, and and the new show organizer, Reed Pop, the guys that usually handle like the PAX events, uh, released a statement, a joint statement last week or on Thursday saying that the, uh, the June event will no longer go ahead. They said, quote, this is a difficult decision to make because of all the effort that we and our partners put towards making this event happen, uh, but we had to do what was right for the industry and what's right for E3. Reed Pop's global v- VP of gaming, Kyle Marsden Kish, said in a statement provided to Video Games Chronicle, the only website I have that internet access to, we appreciate and understand that interested companies wouldn't have had playable demos ready and that resourcing challenges made being at E3 this summer an obstacle they couldn't overcome. Uh, the statement also says that Reed Pop will continue to work together for future E3 events with the ESA. And IGN reported um, later that day that the ESA had emailed its members to let them know that the event had been officially scrapped. In an email uh, that IGN got a hold of, it apparently said that while E3, quote, remains a beloved event that uh, and brand, the 2023 version simply did not garner the sustained interest necessary to execute it in the way that the world sh- that sorry, in a way that would showcase the size, strength, and impact of the industry. Following the report, the Summer Game Fest organizer, Jeff Keighley, took to Twitter to reiterate 
<laughs> that his show is still planned and that it was originally created as a solution to what he thought was wrong with E3. So it's kind of funny if you read the tweet. It's a little bit like, oh, rest in peace, uh, E3. Also, hey, check out my Summer Games event that does very well because E3 doesn't exist. And uh, so that was a little funny, kind of taking a professional jab at it. But I don't know, not, not too much to say because we kind of... I kind of spilled the beans, spilled my feelings, my thoughts on the matter last week when we were just kind of guessing that this was the nail in the coffin. Maybe, you know, maybe they have a, a, a shitty E3 this year and then next year they try to limp one together or, or, or you know, after this year it just gets canceled altogether. Well, no, it just got canceled. And they're still claiming that they'll come back next year or in the future. They didn't promise next year. They promised promised future E3 events. So I don't know if they'll try to do a small scale. My, my guess is they'll try to do some kind of small scale new type show that's not really e3 but they kind of branded e3 uh probably some kind of summer game fest competitor some kind of husk or shell of a former what e3 was kind of deal um but yeah i, I think e3 as as we knew it with the showroom floor and the big press events and all that it's dead it's gone i'd be shocked if, if we ever saw it again so you know there it is uh, a couple people wrote in about the matter so i slapped in a couple comments because last week i opined a little bit about my nostalgia and appreciation for the event and kind of what it meant to me growing up as a video games fan and looking forward to that each and every summer and so i thought i'd share some of your guys' takes just for the uh just just because i like to stew in my feelings and be emo from time to time dead captain james writes in and says sadly e3 is dead one of my bucket list things to do was go to e3 with the boys but it looks like i will never be able to do that now that is actually pretty sad <laughs> that uh, that kind of breaks my heart on your behalf a little bit just because i can uh i can feel that that'd be a super fucking fun thing to do get with your uh get with your friends and head on over to LA for for E3 one summer especially since the last couple of years that E3 was held they tried to start shifting it more to be a public kind of event similar to like a PAX where the general public could buy tickets and attend the event i think that was you know that that was a move that was somewhat made out of desperation as they started waning in relevancy and and, and in terms of attendance from from vendors and such but for us as audience members i thought it was it was cool because it was kind of like a dream come true. It's like, wow, the audience, like the the general public has been invited to E3. Um, what a cool opportunity to get to be there and kind of feed off that energy as some of the most iconic moments in gaming history take place. And that, yeah, man, that totally blows that. <laughs> That's not an option anymore. And like I said, I wouldn't be shocked to see that the branding of E3 come back, but I don't think it will ever be what it was again. It may be a new thing with the old name, but I, I just don't think the E3 we all all grew up watching and hyping up each and every summer. I don't I don't think that's come back. Cronky wrote in and says, E3 is officially dead or canceled. Rip. That was such a fun, exciting event when I was younger. I think of E3 synonymous with Gears 2 gameplay. They showed in the burning building collapsing and crap. Man, fun times. What's your favorite E3 memory or announcement? Mine is probably the backwards compatibility on Xbox One. Man, you know what's funny is I watched E3 religiously every freaking year, and I, I can't, honest to God, I don't know if I have a favorite E3 memory or one that just like, whoa, I, I remember like moments from E3s where I was just like, kind of just what, what is happening? Like, I remember when Halo Wars was shown off, that must have been E3 2008, I, I believe. I remember like being like, really like, what about, about. Halo Wars, a couple of Halos that really, you know, stood out, obviously, in E3, uh, E3 histories. Um, Halo 5's E3 presence was a huge deal to me, but I remember being underwhelmed by kind of like the, the overall reception and, you know, reaction to it. Halo 4's announcement at E3 2012, 2011, 2011? Yeah, yeah, because the game came out in 2012, right? 
fucking legendary. I remember like that just lit the world on fire. That was such an exciting moment. And of course, Halo Infinite's a tr- heartfelt trailer where we were introduced to Brody, whatever the fuck his name is. I already forget his name because I don't I don't care about the campaign of Halo Infinite since 343 and Microsoft don't care about the campaign or the story of Halo Infinite. And uh, those so those are a couple of notable ones. Um, I remember definitely the uh, Phil Spencer coming out in what was that 2015 and dropping the bombshell backwards compatibility on Xbox was a huge one. I always remember watching because Microsoft and Sony would always go on the same day. I always remember just kind of like the emotional resonance of like the high to the low of like, yes, Xbox, Xbox, Xbox. And then way later in the day, PlayStation would go and I'd be like absolutely hyped to watch PlayStation's uh, event as well. And just being like, this is really good. It's really entertaining. It's really exciting. But God, it was never as fun for me to watch as Xboxes because I was just so much more invested in Xboxes um, events, man. I, I, I remember the, obviously connect was a great one. Um, when they show off connect for the first time, that was, what was that? 2009, 2010, 2009. I think it was 2009. Cause it came out in 2010, uh, Milo, the little weird boy and, and the fucking sizzle reel where the guy holds up a real life skateboard, holds it to his Xbox connect three on it on his 360, And the connect scans his motherfucking skateboard. And then he's able to just like stand on the ground and like, like pedal, like he's on a fucking skateboard and like pretend to ride in his living room and thinking, Oh my God, Xbox is the greatest platform of all time. Now I don't have to be a fucking Nintendo shill anymore for the Wii because the Xbox 360 can scan skateboards into the virtual world. And then, um, instead we got connect the moles and it fucking sucked so uh not that game but the original connect um so i remember that shit well i don't know those are just a couple of e3s it, it, it's really weird because I, I like i said i watched e3 so religiously but it's i don't know obviously you know you can't not mention 2013 e3 one of the most iconic and most uh historied moments in gaming in, in at least in modern gaming history with um you know, Xbox just kind of dropping the fucking ball of the Xbox One, always online. We have a console for people who don't want to be online. It's called Xbox 360. And then PlayStation getting up there and be like, this is how to share games. And they do like the little video and just hands the guy the copy of the PS4 game. It's like, ooh, Xbox sucks. And they're coming out there and they're like, our console's $399. Their console's five, uh, $499. Fuck them. You know, so obviously 2013 is a, uh, a big one. Um, but yeah, I mean, just. I don't know, so many, so many. And those last, I would say those last couple of, like, normal E3s, those last, like, official normal E3s where it felt like everyone was participating, everyone was putting their best foot forward. Um, Xbox just, dude, Xbox just had some really good showings. I felt like they, the Xbox got so good at the showmanship of, of E3 that even though so many of those years were just like, where are the games, where are the games? It, it always felt like... Xbox was on such a high note because they did such a good job of marketing the event to you, even even if you were only kind of looking forward to like one or two games. So I don't know. I just I just always enjoy that. Honestly, actually, non Xbox related, uh, one relatively recent E3 memory I remember shitting my pants for and screaming um, was when they announced Metroid Prime Four uh, at the Nintendo Switch. That must have been 2017. Yeah, Nintendo Switch coming uh, getting a metroid prime 4 and then of course that getting rebooted in development and that that game's kind of in development hell now but yeah i remember that was one that definitely got me a lot of nintendo dude nintendo had some 
banger E3s, of course. The Wii Music one, where they're all just waving their little Wii remotes on stage and it looks cringy as hell. The Zelda Skyward Sword one in 2011, where I think I think it's uh, it was Anuma who came out. Yeah, um, does like the gameplay demo for Le- uh, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, which just total sidebar. One underrated Zelda game, probably best 3D Zelda game. All right, continuing on, and uh, the the calibration of the game completely just fucked up. I remember the one E3, I think this was 2007, maybe, where Nintendo came out, or maybe this was 08 or 09, and they came out with the Vitality Sensor, and it was that little like uh, medical clip you could put on your finger, and it could like read like I don't know your fucking heart rate or some shit, and it was like, how what are they gonna do? And they talked about it so abstractly, they were talking about like using emotion and reaction and and translating that into video games. I'm like, God damn, this sounds like deep. Like, what are they going to build with this? And then that never came out or came to fruition anyway. Um, Dude, Nintendo had some really good E3s, especially back in those Wii days. Super Mario Galaxy 2, that shit made me lose my head. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Uh, Oh, 3DS. 3DS actually got me a lot when they announced 3DS and showed off Kid Icarus Uprising. But I don't know. There's there's a ton of of really great E3s um, for me. And uh, I, I miss it, dude. I just I just miss being I just miss being hype about it and then just having like all this shit to talk to. And I, I miss when E3 would happen because it kind of forced everyone to be on the same page all at once about what was happening. Whereas nowadays it could be like, oh, man, did you hear about so and so? It's like, no, I, di- I didn't know that they announced that. And it's like, yeah, it was at last night's PlayStation Direct. It's like, yeah, I don't watch that because I don't give a shit. It's like, oh, did you see so and so? No, I didn't know about that game. Where was that? Oh, is that Xbox's ID at Xbox? No, it wasn't ID at Xbox. It was their uh, Bethesda Plus game developer conference. It's like, no, 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 it wasn't that. It was actually their um, it was actually their Xbox forward event. Or I don't know. Like Xbox always has a different inside. No, that was inside Xbox. It wasn't, you know, whatever. And they have all these different names and Nintendo directs are like a fucking it's a mixed bag. You either reach in, you get gold or you get dog shit. And it, I, I just hate that. It's like all these events so spread out and so dispersed that some of them are good. Some of them are bad. You miss some, you catch others. And it just, there's no, I, I miss that thing where it was like, everyone has to pay attention to this one moment. This is where everyone's going to be educated on what's going forward right now. And that will surely be lost. And oh, shout out, shout out to E3 pouring out next week. We'll not be talking about E3 for the hundredth time. So this is our last time ruminating on uh the past reminiscing all right let's move on guys let's talk about remedy i saw a lot of news outlets like really really trying to make a whole lot out of this story and uh it's about quantum break so quantum break remedy's beautiful masterpiece i might say what year was quantum break 2016 early 2016 spring 2016 uh game quantum break which is uh side note the best remedy game yes there i said it it's better than control it's better than alan wake it's better than max Payne. just suck it it's it's the best uh but yes remedy entertainment's quantum break uh was announced earlier this week to be leaving game pass uh, and then everyone freaked out. And a bunch of gaming outlets were just like, "Oh my God, why is it leaving gaming gaming pass if it's an Xbox gaming?" And uh, uh, immediately, I was just like, "Oh, there's probably a reason for this. I'm, I'm sure it probably has something to do with licensing." And then um, later, like a day or two later, Remedy's like, "Yeah, it's due to licensing." <laughs> So the story literally reads, reports early in the week suggested the game was being removed from the subscription service despite uh, being an Xbox exclusive title, which was published by Microsoft. In a tweet from the official Remedy account on Twitter, the reports were confirmed, but Remedy went on to explain that the removal will not be permanent. Instead, Remedy said 
that the delisting of the game on Game Pass is due to a licensing issue and that the game will be returning uh, back to Game Pass once the issue has been resolved. Quote, don't worry, Quantum Break will be coming back to Game Pass, the tweet reads. It will be temporarily removed due to some licensing that is expiring and we are in the process of being uh, of renewing it. We'll let you know as soon as it is back. That almost always definitely 100% means there is a song in the game that is licensed and that music license is expiring. So they're either going to replace the song or renew the license for the song and then the game will go back up exactly in the way it already was and the world will keep spinning around. So guys, the only thing I got to say about this uh, because it's really not much of a story. It's just, yeah, Quantum Break will be leaving Game Pass probably for a couple weeks or a month or something like that and then come back. If you have not played Quantum Break, listen. Listen, get closer, get closer. While you're sitting there waiting for the 35 games Xbox has in the first-party catalog that are announced with no gameplay and no release date and no fucking concept of what the hell the game actually is, while we sit here waiting, twiddling our thumbs with nothing more than Redfall and Starfield on the horizon for seemingly the next 50 years. Do yourself a favor, if you haven't already, go into the backlog of the Xbox One and pick out Remedies Quantum Break. Play this motherfucking game and tell... And I, 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 I have to say it every time because it pisses me off so much. Play Quantum Break and tell me... Tell me with a serious face that this game is not just as good as God of War 2018, The Last of Us, Uncharted... Ghost of Tsushima, all these fucking sad dad sims on PlayStation. I'm not trying to us in the console war thing. I love all those games I just mentioned, except Ghost of Tsushima, because I haven't actually played it, so I can't speak to that. But I, I shout out to PlayStation. They make some of the best games. They have some of the best production. Probably, definitely, actually, the best production of any of any of the of the big three out there. Fantastic games, fantastic stories, fantastic developers working on really high quality shit. This isn't a console war thing. I'm not. I'm not saying Xbox sucks. But it drives me nuts when I hear people say Xbox doesn't have a blah, 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 or Xbox needs to be better at this next-gen immersive storytelling. It's like, bro, fucking play Quantum Break and tell me that's not what that is. The difference between a game like Quantum Break and Uncharted, Quantum Break and The Last of Us, is Quantum Break has a better story. That's that's the only difference. Or the, the other the, oh, the other difference is Quantum Break has better gameplay. Like it's just it's a really damn good game. And it kind of it kind of drives me nuts because, fuck. After Quantum Break came out, I was like, "This is it, Xbox. Buy Remedy. This is it. This is the studio you need. This is you want to compete with Naughty Dog. You want to compete with these other guys on the other platform. You need Remedy. And then Xbox let Remedy slip through their fingers and start making multi platform multi platform games for everyone and making deals with fucking like Chinese publishers and and uh, and Epic and all this shit. And it's just like. Dude, what what are you doing, Xbox? Remedy could have been had for so cheap. It just still drives me so nuts thinking about Remedy. Every time they come up, they could have been had for so cheap. They are European, which isn't an insult. It's just they're 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 from um they're from Finland and they fucking kick ass. They're one of the best developers in the industry. But the thing that's notable about that is games have just historically been cheaper to produce in that part of the world. They talk about they, they talked about in an interview a couple of years ago regarding um control, their more recent game, that they did control for like a fifty million dollar budget, which is kind of unheard of because games generally cost like hundreds of million dollars to develop here in the in in you know California or in America or whatever. Even games developed in Canada or the UK, significantly more expensive. And so I'm just thinking like these guys are dirt cheap. Everyone has their price. 
They have a long history working with Xbox. They make phenomenal games that would greatly benefit Xbox if you could kind of have that locked down on exclusivity. Why the fuck did Xbox never offer? And I, I get it. It's, it's the one thing. It's that Remedy doesn't make games that are massive, multi-million system seller, fuck you type games. I get it. You know, especially in the heyday of that relationship between Xbox and Remedy, Xbox was used to that, that, that crack hit of Forza, Halo, Gears, and each one was a fucking masterpiece, and each one sold 10, 20 million copies, and each one, I, I get it, I get it, that's what, that's what Xbox was used to, and Remedy's not that team, Remedy's that team that's like, maybe they sold 2 or 3 million copies of a game, I get it, so it's not that big heavy hitter, why would you want a team like that, but you fast forward to today and where we're at, a team like Remedy would have been so good for Xbox. And it's just, I, got, I gotta say it, man. I, I say this with such a dead serious face. You can go play all those games I just named from PlayStation and then play Quantum Break and come back and tell me what an idiot you think I am. I stand by my words. Quantum Break is the best narrative-driven story, third-person action, whatever type game of that genre from that Xbox One PS4 generation. It's so good. And I didn't even mention the other crazy thing, which is Quantum Break should have been an absolute piece of shit game. Because they tried this absolutely insanely stupid idea where it's like you play a level of the game and then you put the controller down and it does an episode of live action TV where it's supposed to seamlessly transition from video game to TV show, back to video game, back to TV show. That is a terrible idea. That game should not work. That is a fucking stupid idea. If you go back in time and, and tell the world, hey, Remedy's working on a game that's half live action TV show, half video game, everyone will say, that game's going to suck balls. And guess what? It was great. The TV show is awesome. It's compelling as hell, and it's super fun to finish a level in that game and then put the controller down and sit for 20, 30 minutes and watch the next episode. And it makes the story richer. It makes the experience more immersive and captivating because you have the strengths of of, of the silver screen or like movie slash TV kind of entertainment. And then you have the strengths of immersive third person action, engaging video game gameplay. And you married it all together perfectly, which remedy did. And you got the best of these third person action story driven games. And guess what? They didn't even have to give you a little girl to make the game compelling or a little boy or whatever the hell it is they do. They didn't even have to give you a child to walk around this world and, and still badass. and shout out to Rachel. May she rest in peace. Of course, if you know, you know, and also, Lance Riddick is in this game. So may he rest in peace. Shout out to the man, the legend, Zavala, although he doesn't play Zavala in this game. But anyway, I just want to give Quantum Break a little bit of a shout out just because so, so, many, so many sites were kind of pimping the hell out of this story and being like, oh my God, why is this console exclusive leaving Game Pass? And uh, it, it was much to do about nothing, but I thought, hey, Quantum Break's in the in the news cycle. It's a, it's a slow news week. Let me use this as an opportunity to once again, sing from the highest mountains, my praise, my love, my adoration for Quantum Break. In fact, this news got me so hyped about this game again. I was like, you know what I need to do is go back and play Quantum Break again. The game still looks great. The fucking time manipulation, the gunplay, just the, you know, the kind of climbing light platforming of the game. It all feels so good, dude. It feels so good. And the bad guy's name in this, in this video game is Paul. That's such, I don't know. That's just such a funny name for a bad guy. I just love it. It's just such an average guy name. So anyway, shout out to Remedy, shout out to Quantum Break, and also just a, 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 your daily reminder that Xbox fucked up. You know, they got $69 billion laying around for Activision, but you don't, what, you, you didn't have, in 2016, 2017 money, I mean, you could have had a Remedy for, for like $200 million, maybe less. You probably could have, you probably could have had a Remedy for like $150 million, I'm, I'm sure. Anyway, that, that ship has sailed, but shout out to Quantum Break. Next up, Let's talk about 
Activision, but we're not talking about that acquisition stuff. We're talking about um, a lawsuit that has to do with esports. So different stuff. I don't have much to say about this, so we'll just kind of read through it and we'll see if anything strikes me. But Activision Blizzard has been sued by the U.S. Department of Justice for alleged antitrust violations related to its esports business. In the civil lawsuit filed this past week, the Justice Department claims rules imposed by Activision Blizzard have limited competition for players in its Overwatch and Call of Duty professional esport leagues and have suppressed player wages. The complaint, which was filed by the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, accuses Activision and independently owned teams in its esports leagues of implementing a, quote, competitive balance tax designed to penalize teams if players' compensation exceeds a threshold set by game makers. Shortly after the lawsuit was made public, the Justice Department reportedly agreed to a settlement with Activision. A spokesperson for the game's publisher provided VGC with the following statement. Quote, Activision Blizzard Esports is committed to being the leader in esports industry and creating opportunities for players to earn a fair pay and benefits. While we, when we launched the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues, we wanted to create a viable career opportunity for players requiring minimum salaries and mandatory benefits as part of player contracts. As a league, we also wanted to produce and, uh, and be competitive, so we carefully designed and implemented the competitive balance tax. We've always believed and still believe that competitive balance tax was lawful and it did not have an adverse impact on player salaries. The tax was never levied and the leagues voluntarily dropped in from our rules in 2021. We remain committed to the player ecosystem with fair pay and healthcare, and continue to have the least restrictive player mobility compensation system across all major sports leagues. Now, the thing is, I'm just not familiar enough with how any of this works, whether it be traditional sports or in esports. With these leagues, I, I, I'm under the impression that these teams are franchises, kind of like it works in the MLB or in NFL or whatever. So to me, you know, here's just my ignorance on display. I, I'm just I, kind of of the mindset that these teams are in some way, shape, or form paid by their franchise owners and by profits and stuff made by by the owners and the beneficiary bene, beneficiaries of of you know the, the the team owners or the company that owns the team rather so i didn't realize any of that was really tied up with some like activision blizzard who they own the sports league they own the call of duty league or the overwatch league but i didn't realize that their pay and compensation and things like that could be capped or controlled by activision blizzard so whatever the case may be i again i'm not educated enough on the matter to really give much of an opinion but uh same thing as always ma'am why why did we got why did we got rules on everyone except the uh, the elites, the, the business owners, the politicians. Why why is everybody else got to have caps and rules and disadvantages? And you can only make this much, or you can only do these kinds of moves. But you know, it's the people at the top. They just got unlimited wealth, unlimited opportunity, and unlimited mobility in every way, shape, or form. So, shout out to the esports players. I recently kind of got into Call of Duty League a little bit. I watched their Open Three event uh, a few weeks back, and. Shit's crazy, man. These people are insanely talented at what they do. Um, you know, if a fucking football player or NBA star can make millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, just doing what they do, I don't see why a guy who's way better than anyone else at Call of Duty or Overwatch can't do the same shit to me. These uh, these skills, these these the value that they provide to society and for entertainment purposes is one in the same. So, you know, whatever. If we're going to live in a world where entertainers and sports professionals make drastically way more money than people who like actually provide services and duties to the world might as well at least let them let them have that opportunity to make a shit ton of money so anyway yeah where analysts let's talk about analysts talking about playstation vr2 now this one's technically not xbox related i'm just curious about it because 
I think there's a lot of Xbox fans out there who are hoping or hopeful or wish or wished that Xbox would jump in the portable handheld market or VR or something like that. So I just want to talk about this, not to poo-poo on Sony, because I actually have a lot of respect and appreciation for what Sony's doing with VR. Um, but, you know, tell, a little bit telling of where we are. So from VGC, uh, and this, I think this is our last one before we jump into the proper news, but from VGC, sales of Sony's PS VR 2 headset have started slowly, or have, yeah, have had a slow start, according to estimates by a research firm. According to Bloomberg reports, according to IDC, Sony will likely have sold around 270,000 units uh, by the end of March. IDC's vice president of data analytics, Francisco Geronimo, uh, told the publication, quote, I suspect the price cut on PSVRT will be needed to avoid a complete disaster of their new product. He explained that, quote, consumers around the world are facing rising costs of living, rising interest rates, and increasing layoffs. VR headsets are not top of mind for most consumers under the current economic climate. Bloomberg uh, claimed earlier in the year that Sony had previously aimed to ship 2 million PSVR units during its headset's launch quarter, and then have those projections to just 1 million in the first quarter, and then 1.5 million between April and March, uh, this April to next March, 2024. Sony denied Bloomberg's previous claims, but also uh, reportedly declined to comment on Bloomberg's latest story. The company also has yet to publicly state how many PSVR 2 units have been sold since launch. Earlier in the month, Sony's executive deputy uh, president and chief financial officer, Hiroki Totoki, said that he thinks that the headsets a has a good chance of outselling the first PSVR, which sold about 5 million units by the end of 2019. And the unit came out in 2016, if I remember correctly. Now, keep in mind, PSVR 1 was something of an anomaly because it came out in a time where people were really curious about VR. Oculus Quest 1 and 2 were not a thing yet. So the standard was still, you plug a headset into a box with cables up to a PC, it's really expensive, lots of cords, lots of shit, and it's kind of a whole cumbersome ordeal. So PSVR was quite understandable back in 2016 when it was like, oh yeah, you plug this cable into your PS4 and there's all this shit everywhere, right? And I think the thing that made PSVR sell so well, it's pretty obvious, right? P uh, PlayStation 4, it's a $400 box. PSVR, it was a $400 headset, I believe, maybe $300. But, you know, it's just relatively affordable when you compare it to like the HTC Vive and the older Oculuses that were that required really powerful PCs that cost maybe one or two thousand dollars and the headsets themselves were really expensive like eight to fifteen hundred dollars and there was a lot of cable management all this shit that had to go with it PSVR was just the most accessible affordable easy to get in the door kind of way to do VR back in those days therefore it did really well um but that doesn't stand really anymore because now VR is a little less exciting as everyone seems to have had some experience, some hands-on um, time with VR. So the medium's just a little less exciting, I think. So people are looking more for like something truly, truly, truly next-gen next breaking, something they got to have their hands on. And then more importantly to that point, I think just the advent of like these all-in-one headsets like the Oculus Quest, these devices that are like three, $400, it's got everything you need built into the headset and you don't need any other boxes or cables or computers or consoles to plug up to. I think that's more appealing. It's more accessible. It just makes more sense um, to, to most consumers. And so something like a PlayStation VR, which, you know, the VR2 is $500. It requires a $500 PlayStation 5. And then you have to connect it all with cables. It's just, it's a lot more of an ask. It's a lot more of an old school way of doing VR. And 
I'm not necessarily saying that it's an antiquated way that won't survive in any way, shape, or form, but clearly the market is speaking and saying, hey, we want these more portable, cableless, uh, less reliant on other hardware type VR headsets. And I, I think this Hiroki Totoki has an insane outlook on this on this unit. You know, he has a financial obligation to try and spin this positively, but I don't think there's a chance in hell PSVR 2 is going to sell the 5 million units that the first one sold, and I think that thing's a, it's dead in the water. Now, also to Sony's benefit, or to their credit rather, um, PSVR 2 came out in a shit time due to the economy. I don't think when they started making this thing that they were expecting the economy to take a turn for the worse, so it's just kind of, it is what it is, but with that being said and that out of the way, I kind of wanted to get a read. This is one of those situations where, you know, I remember in the early days of Xbox on, you know, back in 2019, we were talking about this, you know, like, is Xbox going to do VR? And I remember Phil Spencer had a couple quotes back in, you know, a few years ago where he was saying like, Hey, I love VR. I think it's a cool technology. We've, we've looked into AR and other things. Microsoft has some initiatives with things like HoloLens, but we are not looking into doing VR currently on, on Xbox, not in any kind of first party capacity or anything like that. And, um, I, I know that disappointed a lot of people, but, um, you know, looking at kind of where we are now and where PlayStation is with their second VR iteration and just kind of where things are with the economy, it seems like in hindsight, Xbox obviously made the right choice by not pursuing VR. That said, you know, as Xbox fans, we shouldn't be looking for Microsoft to be doing the financially, you know, responsible thing because who gives a shit? They're Microsoft. We had to think about this more of like, yeah, but wouldn't it have been cool or do we think it would have been a fun idea had they done that? From that perspective, I don't know, man. In 2019, when I was saying I'm glad Xbox isn't doing VR, I think it would be gimmicky. It's one less thing to have to worry about. Focus on making high-quality games. As someone who has since had a lot of experience with VR, I have a Quest 2. I love this thing. I, I love VR. I believe in the technology. I got to say, there is a there is a small part of me, not a, just a small part, that is a little bit jealous that the PlayStation fans kind of have these little pet projects, even though sometimes they don't always take off. You know, the fact that they've had a couple of handheld PlayStation consoles, the fact that they've had a couple of VR headsets, and over on Xbox, all we've ever had is the current box, the box after that, the box after, you know, whatever. It's just the next box, which, listen, don't get me wrong. I, I like the focus on the on the singular product because, you know, that's how we've had, managed to keep a consistent, uniform um, ecosystem and account system and online system. That's, that's why Xbox is kind of the best place in console space to play games for preservation purposes and everything is because they haven't changed the controller a hundred times and built games around some form of a of a input that's outdated or anything like that so i think xbox has done the level-headed and wise thing but i want to give a shout out to playstation is really all this is is just i appreciate them being risk takers and doing cool crazy shit because well yeah xbox probably did the right thing by not investing in a handheld or a vr headset um and we'll we'll talk about the handheld later as we we talk about another steam deck competitor that's about to come out um you know, it's like someone else is doing that work for Xbox. They don't have to concern themselves with that. Just focus on the Series X and X, focus on cloud streaming, and focus on great games. I get that, but I don't know. There's something really cool that's maybe it's that Nintendo Wii fan in me that just loves the idea of, like, the tinkerer, someone who's going to do something different. Let's do, let's do VR. Let's do motion controls. Let's try something wacky. The only thing Xbox has ever really done like that was, um, was Kinect, and, well... Connect 2 was fucking awesome, but Connect 1 was a joke. So I don't know, man. It's, it, it doesn't always pan out, but it's something I admire and I appreciate, kind of like we were talking about with this patent for a new Xbox controller that might have a touch screen in the middle. It's just, I like weird, crazy, wacky shit, and it, it sucks that it doesn't always work out, but you got to give some respect to those willing to take the plunge and uh, 
you know, invest the money into doing something crazy like that. So, you know, sad news for PlayStation fans. Sucks for Sony, but um, I'm just curious. What do you, what would you guys think about had Microsoft gone down that rabbit hole of VR or dedicated gaming handhelds or things like that? I mean, I you know, if it were reality, I think we'd all be a lot more optimistic about it. But it's easy to sit here in hindsight and be like, well, they did the right thing, so I'm glad they never did that. But I don't know. As a fan of just seeing cool, crazy shit, I think I would have liked it. So curious what you guys think about that. But uh, that's it for our updates, stories of mild amusement. Now we can move into the what I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I got to tell you about... What I've been eating, you guys, you know where we're going to go. So last week, I made a little bit of a, an, not an announcement, but I relayed some information I got from an, a, a YouTuber, the Deal Guy, the Deal Guy over on YouTube. If you haven't watched him or subscribed to him, you're doing yourself a huge disservice, but the Deal Guy essentially goes around to like Costco's, Walmart's, fast food restaurants, dollar stores, all these places, like, these are the best 10 items to buy from Sam's Club for the month of March. Whatever. He did the fast food one talking about the best fast food hacks to get the most bang for your buck. And one of the things he said, and I relayed this last week, was if you go to Taco Bell and you get the spicy potato taco, which we've been talking about lately, right? It's like it's, it's all the rage. It's kind of like a new discovery for me. I'm really high on it. I'm talking about it. Seems like a lot of you guys are also fans of it. So we're finding some mutual love there. So last week, the deal guys all like, yo, for 30 cents, you can add beef to a spicy potato taco. And then it's kind of like a mini burrito. It's a really good deal. It's like less than two bucks. They're really delicious and filling, whatever. So I go ahead and I'm like, yo, have you guys heard about the deal guy? He's saying put 30 cent beef in your potato taco. So I go out and I realize I can't just go ahead espousing this information like it's a good idea if I haven't tried the product myself. I'm not that kind of man, okay? I'm not peddling snake oil to you guys. I got I to gotta try the real deal. So I head on over to Taco Bell um, last week, and I, and I do it. I say, let me get some ground beef in my spicy potato taco. Let me get two of those. Okay, first things first. I guess the deal guy lives in, like, fucking Wisconsin where everything's cheaper, but where I live... Ground beef in your spicy potato taco is not 30 cents. It is 70 cents. So fuck me. We're all dying here in Orlando, Florida. Can't even afford a little bit of ground beef in our potato tacos. But 70 cents, not 30 cents. So, you know, still not breaking the bank, but, you know, money's money. So just a little something disclaim there. But, hey, I'm pretty hyped about this. I don't see any reason why this wouldn't be delicious. It's a soft flour tortilla with the crispy potatoes, the creamy, spicy sauce they put in there. I don't know what the fuck it is. Lettuce and lettuce and cheese, shredded cheese and lettuce, and then you add the Taco Bell taco beef, seasoned beef. A couple things this thing desperately needs are sour cream and, and tomatoes just to kind of like supreme it up, but I was really expecting, yeah, this thing's going to be delicious. I don't think I'm... A, it's not bad. Like I, I don't feel I don't feel like I misled you guys. If you if you went out and tried this on this recommendation, I don't think I misled you. It's it's good. It's fine. It's serviceable. It's better than half the gimmicky junk that Taco Bell tries to shove to, into our faces these days. So it's not bad. And I still think even at seventy cents for the ground beef, it's still a solid deal. A little over two bucks. Um, but it wasn't all that in a bag of chips, if you know what I mean. Like I wasn't walking away going, "Wow, that's a new go to item for me." In fact, I was so. Not underwhelmed, not excited, but whelmed. I was just middle of the row. I was entire, entirely whelmed by this item to the point where I don't think I'll order this again, or maybe not anytime soon. If I do, it'll be something like down the road if I'm just thinking of it or feeling it. But I think I'd rather have the spicy potato taco without the beef. Just keep it veggie friendly. Just keep it, you know, vegetarian. And, uh, because the beef just kind of masks the flavor of the spicy sauce. It mushes up the crispy t potatoes. And it just it turns it into a totally different item than it was before. So I don't hate it. It is it is good. 
um, but I just think it's unnecessary. So I'm going to go ahead and say don't do the ground beef on the potato taco. Now, what I haven't done and I do need to do is come up with my customized version of it. Like if I, if I were going to customize this potato taco and make something completely new out of it, this is what I would do. I'd get the grilled chicken instead of the beef because the chicken at Taco Bell isn't saucy, so it's not going to mask up the flavor of everything else. And because their chicken is better than their beef, just plain and simple. Then I'm going to add tomatoes and sour cream. So what you'll have is the flour tortilla, the, the crispy, spicy taco potato things, the spicy, creamy sauce, some grilled chicken, and then shredded lettuce, tomato, diced tomatoes, and shredded cheese with a little bit of sour cream. I think if you make that, that would be, as the kids say, lit, fire, uh, fuego and dank all at the same time. So I, I, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try it next time I'm at Taco Bell. I will come back to you and let you know how that goes. Uh, but yeah, that's it for the what I've been eating. Also, another side note at Taco Bell. Apparently, I saw this. I forget where I saw this. I saw this on TikTok or something. The Chipotle chicken griller that used to be on the value menu that everyone loves. You know what it was. It was the flour tortilla with the creamy Chipotle sauce, sour cream, cheese, and chicken. Uh, loaded up and then wrapped and grilled um, in the flour tortilla. A very famous, beloved, many, many years available. It was a menu item on, on the value-ish menu. What am I saying? But uh, they took it away a couple of years ago. Apparently, there's a way to get it back. If you're on the Taco Bell app and you go under the specialties menu, like this is like the specialties menu where they have like the Crunchwrap Supreme and like shit like that. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and they have this thing that's called the Chipotle Chicken Wrap or something like that. The Chicken Chipotle something. It is the flour tortilla with the sauce and the cheese and the chicken. But two things are missing. It doesn't have sour cream and it's not grilled. You can order this, customize it, and add the sour cream to it. I could not find a way to get it grilled, though. So maybe if you order it through the box, like at the drive-thru, and ask for them to grill it, they can do that. But I did go ahead while I was there, and I ordered through the app and got one of these things with sour cream. And it tastes 85% like it's the Chipotle chicken griller that we all know, knew and loved um, from back in the day. So just another little thing to throw out there for those who are nostalgics for some uh, Taco Bell items of the past. I'm trying to do the Lord's work here and giving you guys the best way to customize this menu. So I hope you will do something good with that. Maybe share share the good word to a friend. Uh, help feed the hungry, downtrodden Taco Bell fanboys. All right, that's it for what I've been eating this week. Now now we move on to the what I've been playing. And you guys, it's plain and simple. It's really one thing. Destiny 2 Lightfall. I'm sick and tired of waiting around for my nephew to stop being a little prick and play video games with me again. And I decided, fuck you, I'm playing this by myself. So I got back to Destiny 2 Lightfall. I gotta say, a couple things. I don't know why everyone's hating on this expansion. I'm at the tail end of it. I'm very, very far into it. Um, like, like, give me another hour and I'll have this thing wrapped up. And uh, the thing I don't understand about Destiny 2 Lightfall is people are acting like this is like the worst thing that happened in Destiny in so long, and I'm at such a loss trying to understand why that's the case. The story is absolutely a little more bare bones and straightforward than most Destiny expansions, but Destiny's story content can be so hard to follow and so convoluted at times that, to me, this is a breath of fresh air, not a not a downside. People are bitching and moaning about this. What is this? Uh, what is this? What do they call it again? The chalice, not the chalice, the fucking whatever it is, the MacGuffin in the game that you're after. And I don't understand why people are complaining about it because clearly they're just trying to hype it up for the next expansion, which is like a direct lead up, you know, direct sequel to what this one is. So I don't see what people are complaining about with all that. But as far as the actual 
quality of the game itself goes. I, I think this is Niamora, this new store, this new uh, planet you get to explore, this fucking like 1980s Miami Vice underwater city of Atlantis sci-fi city they had built is fucking crazy cool. It's one of the coolest aesthetics Destiny's ever had. I appreciate how strikingly different it is from most of the rest of the game, yet still feels cohesive in the world of Destiny. I absolutely adore this new setting. I think the missions are fun as hell. It's just as good as any other Destiny campaign. I'm really loving the moment-to-moment gameplay, and I think that new strand... Uh, subclass is awesome. The grappling hook and everything. It's nothing I would want to use in Crucible. I, I think I'm still pretty happy with uh, with my what, whatever it is, the Captain America subclass that I use with the shield. But yeah, I mean, the strand I think is pretty cool, at least for campaign. I think it's a lot of fun. So I, I don't get what all the hate is on this. I'm, I'm having a great time with Lightfall. However, there is one complaint I do have with Lightfall that I would like to just air out a little bit. And this has been a growing issue with Destiny. I want to say since like Forsaken came out. But it's especially present now, which is that they just, I don't know why they do this, but it feels like Bungie absolutely hates uh, the single players out there, people like me. I play Destiny by myself. I've tried to play with people. It's been a, it's been a fucking saga for me the eight years or so that Destiny's been around that I've been playing it. And, you know, there's like the times where it's like, I wish I had a fire team, like a group of boys that like we could always play together after work. It'd be like our thing to play Destiny. I always wish I had that, especially in the early Destiny 1 days. Then I got really comfortable with this idea of like, I actually think Destiny is a lot of fun to play by yourself, and I actually get a lot of value and a lot of enjoyment out of playing the game by myself, so I'm fine to play it the way I play Halo or Call of Duty or anything else, whatever. Destiny's great, I still love it. And then, in recent years, I've had more opportunities, more privileged moments where I've had the opportunity to play with other people. And going back to playing alone, what I'm realizing is this experience, especially now more than ever, is so tailor-made for people to play together that I feel like they're starting to hurt and cap people for playing single player. When I'm, here's an example of what I'm talking about. You'll be playing a, the, the campaign, uh, like the new expansion, the campaign portion, right? And it'll be like, oh, okay, for mission two, you uh, we recommend that your light level be 1750. Okay, whatever. So I go in multiplayer, I do some strike missions, I, I get some equipment, I rank up, I loot grind, I get my light level leveled up to 1750, right? We're good, I'm ranked up, I got the gear, we're good. Okay, I play the mission, I beat the mission, all is well. And then after that, it's like, cool, time to move on to mission three. Mission three is like, fuck you, your light level should be 1790. I'm like, what the fuck? And it just constantly grinds the fucking campaign to a halt. You don't have to do this, Destiny. It's okay for your campaign to be five to seven hours long. Like, we don't need you to constantly artificially inflate the playtime of the campaign by letting me do a mission. Then I gotta go to Crucible or do strike missions and grind to get better gear and level up my light level, and then I can go back and play the next light, uh, the next level of the campaign. Because what you're doing is you're just constantly fucking up the pacing and, and pulling me out of the immersion of the actual story portion of the game and making me do things I don't want to do to artificially keep me invested in the game. And I fucking hate that because, listen, I'm fine to play some Crucible and some strike missions and everything later. I like doing that stuff in anticipation of a new expansion. I love doing that stuff after a new expansion. But if a new expansion just drops, let me just fucking let me just fucking play the expansion, dude. Let me just let me just play level by level and get through the story content because 
God, how much would it suck if you're playing like Halo 3 and it's like, good job, Master Chief, you did level 4. Now I need you to go jerk off a million players in multiplayer. Make sure you get 3.6 trillion tea bags in order to move on to Mission 4. It's like, that fucking sucks. You're ruining the fun. You're a killjoy. So this is a problem I had a little bit with Witch Queen, a little bit with Forsaken, and I'm having it a lot with Lightfall, where I just feel like after every mission, it's like, that mission, throughout this mission, I, I gained enough loot, enough, enough stuff, enough weapons and gear, where I can bump my light level up from like 30 to 35, like 1730 to 1735, right? Like five points or something. But the gap between the level I just played and the next level, the direct next level is like a 15, 20 point gap. And it's like, so now I just have to go into multiplayer and grind in order to be able to play the next mission. That, that fucking sucks. I know it's because they want you to play with your boys. They want you to get in a fire team of three players and get in there and kick some ass. But when you're playing single player and you're going in there without the proper equipment and proper light level and you're not grinding constantly, some of these boss battles are fucking hard as hell and it sucks. So that's kind of the only problem I've been having is like I'm enjoying my time with the expansion. I really like this new content. I just don't know why the game keeps constantly sending me back to Crucible, sending me back to multiplayer to grind and, and look for loot in order to get back up. That's not Destiny. Destiny's usually a little more graceful than that, and I just feel like that's been a gripe I've had with Lightfall. But other than that, and that's a pretty notable gripe, but other than that, I think this is actually one of the better recent expansions. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Um, like I said, I'm in about the last hour of it or so, so I'll wrap that up this weekend, and then I'll move on to something else as we anticipate Ghostwire Tokyo and Minecraft Legends coming out in the next week and t- week or two, so... That is uh, what I've been playing. Also, I got into a closed beta test or closed alpha test, whatever, for Hyenas, which is the Sega published, certain affinity developed, not certain affinity, fucking uh, Creative Assembly, Creative Assembly, the guys that make the uh, made Halo Wars 2, actually. Um, so anyway, I, I'm looking forward to this game. It's like kind of lame looking, but it's like a multiplayer shooter type experience. It's trying to be a little unique. It's got some anti anti gravity stuff. It's got some cool weapons. It's got some cool game modes. I'm kind of looking forward to giving this game a try. And lo and behold, I get invited. Well, I signed up for, it, and then got selected to do a closed alpha. So I guess technically I'm not supposed to talk about it because I'm under NDA. But holy shit, to the seven people listening to Xbox on. Please don't rat me out to Sega of Europe and get me in trouble. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just gotta be honest. Couple, I'm, I got like three matches in. First of all, it took me forever to find a match. Second of all, the ping was dog shit. And third of all, the game's not. I, I, I it wasn't my cup of tea. Let's just put it that way. And that sucks because, honestly, the 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 controls and the game feels good. Actually, it actually quite f- feels pretty good. It feels something like something like a Titanfall Apex Legends kind of thing in terms of its moment to moment movement, and traversal, and shooting and everything. But God, the characters are cringe as hell, and the game is not fun. It's all this like PvPVE, the objective bullshit. It's like I just, I just kind of wish this was like anti gravity, zero space shit, fucking FPS, team deathmatch game. But instead, it's trying to be a whole lot of extra shit. And I just gotta be honest, I, I don't have a lot to say other than I, I played three matches and the tutorial and really wanted to not play this game ever again so hey maybe it'll be better in beta and its final release form but i am not so far a fan of this hey i wanted to be i like creative assembly um i I want them to succeed i I admire them going so far out outside their wheelhouse to do something unique and different i think they've nailed a lot of that feel and look and they seem competent in what they're doing but this game is just not working for me so 
played a little bit of that, but otherwise it's mostly just been some Destiny, and then of course you know the the normal background games, some Halo and Call of Duty and shit in the background here and there. But that's it for what I've been playing, guys. Um, let's uh, with that said, let's let's move on to the main news segment, shall we? All right, so like I said at the top of the show, weirdly slow news story. We really have like two news stories and then just like some Game Pass updates. Uh, but we'll make the most of it. I think it's already been a pretty fine, regular It's what you'd expect from Xbox on. So, hey, let's keep going. First up, some slightly positive news, or at least a step in the right direction. Uh, from VGC, a new one terabyte Western digital expansion card for Xbox Series consoles has appeared online, and it's much cheaper than its competitors. The Western digital Black C50 expansion card for Xbox appeared over the weekend on Best Buy's website. However, it is currently unavailable for purchase. The item would expand the storage of an Xbox Series console by one terabyte. When the Xbox Series consoles first launched back in 2020, they they brought with them a proprietary memory card system in order to expand the storage of the machines. At launch, a 1TB, 2TB, and 512GB uh, card manufactured by Seagate was offered. The card was seemingly set, or w- sorry, the card, the new card will seemingly set players back 180 US dollars, around 145 euro, which is slightly cheaper or significantly cheaper, if you want to look at it that way, uh, cheaper than Microsoft's one terabyte offering from Seagate, which is generally 220 US, although it's rarely in stock and not many people seem to really have it. While both series consoles offer the f- same form of memory expansion or the ability to store games on third-party hard drives, that makes the expansion card system unique and fully compatible with Xbox Quick Resume feature. That's probably a huge reason as to why they made this thing. Meaning that games can be stored in a playable state directly on the expansion card rather than the typical USB hard drives which instead store games in cold storage. This means that while you can store games on a typical USB drive, you have to copy them to the system's internal storage or one of these expansion cards in order to play Xbox Series games. Older titles can run natively from a hard drive. For comparison, PS5 storage uses a generic hard drive that can be produced by multiple manufacturers. While this means that generally the prices for these expansions are much lower than Xbox, inconsistent performance can exist between hard drives, and that means some consumers uh, should do some research and learn before they just go ahead and buy, unlike Microsoft's more plug-and-play solution. So I guess we haven't ever really talked about this situation on xbox before and this is very weird how it's a kind of tables turn situation because generally xbox would be pretty like open to all things and then playstation has been known more for its proprietary system i guess with the exception of like the xbox 360 had that really weird proprietary hard drive system remember where it was like the little fucking brick the curved brick that you'd pull off the top of your Xbox 360, and um, that was proprietary. The, uh, you know, Xbox these days is usually pretty open to like, yeah, we let all the manufacturers build whatever for our consoles, you know, players at the center of the universe, that kind of mentality. And Sony's traditionally been the one that does, like, proprietary shit, like, famously, the PlayStation Vita uh, proprietary memory cards that were outrageously expensive. And that's the setback, right, with these proprietary things. It's like, we have a special technology only for our gaming hardware for the sake of storage, and because these manufacturers have to make a specific proprietary piece of hardware. Um, it's more niche, it's more specific, so you produce it less frequently in smaller batches, and that drives the cost up. You can't mass-produce an Xbox little memory stick the way you can mass-produce a generic you know, SSD 
hard drive that you could plug in any PC or video game console. So that's kind of the crux of the of the whole ordeal, the thing that we're dealing with here with storage on Xbox. These Seagate Xbox certified official memory sticks, they're cool. They're literally like PlayStation or Sega Dreamcast memory cards. You, pl you plug them into the back of your Series S or X, and it's awesome. You just have instant more storage. You can do quick save. You can just swap games over to them, pl plug that card into any Xbox console. It's really cool tech. I actually think from a tech standpoint, just from a pure interesting wow that's cool standpoint i actually prefer that xbox does this over what playstation does uh because i just think it's more fun more futuristic and more interesting but obviously it comes with this massive setback that we've all encountered by this point because these consoles don't have that much storage on them or rather games just takes up so many so much storage these days but we've all encountered this situation where it's like damn i have no storage you want to go buy an expansion card they're like over 200 bucks so, yeah, to have one that's going to be around $180 by comparison, $40 cheaper, that is a huge win, right? But I still think $180 is way too expensive for a terabyte of expandable storage on your new Xbox console. I think these things need to be around $100 or less. Um, and so that's kind of the issue we're running into here. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I appreciate the fact that the cards are slim. They're portable. You can plug it into any Xbox and just do quick resume. You can you can put it in your pocket, take it to your buddy's house, or whatever you want to do. You, can, you don't have to do any research. You know exactly what you need to buy in order to do this thing on your Xbox and expand your storage. And you know it's going to reliably be as good as the storage that's onboard built into the console. And so there's that nice peace of mind with just go to Best Buy, buy the expansion card, plug it in your Xbox, you're done. You know, whereas with PlayStation, you do have to have that whole like, okay, let's see what's the best hard drive for PlayStation 5. What is Digital Foundry say? Okay, this is the one I need to order. Okay, let me watch a YouTube tutorial video on how to do this. Although they're not that hard to replace. Like, I don't mean to overcomplicate it. But, you know, just make sure I'm watching the steps correctly. It's not just like a memory card you plug in. It's like a thing. You got to make sure you do it. You got to remove this thing and then unscrew that and then pluck this in there and Okay, now screw back in. So it's like a, a little extra. Like the steps are just a little more. I think it's a, I think it's like you unscrew a thing and then there's like a slot on the PS5 if I'm not mistaken. But it's not terribly hard. It's not that much more work, and it's ultimately at the end of the day worth it for the money for the savings. Um, but obviously, the way Xbox does it is just cooler and sleeker and a little more, you know consumer friendly in every way that isn't financially <laughs> so i you know you could argue about which one's better which one's worse um i think playstation is probably better just because having you know that financial savings is probably better for most people considering money doesn't grow on trees but um at the same time i i admire i appreciate what the xbox has done with this whole like trying to design everything around quick quick resume if you've ever wondered why like if you have like a generic hard drive and you've plugged it into your series srx and you've wondered why like you can store Xbox One or Xbox 360 games on that external drive, but you can only play like Xbox Series games on the internal storage or these memory card slots, these little SD expandable cards things. Uh, if you've ever wondered why that is, it's because of the kind of you know SSD speed they're using to do quick resume. It's the proprietary technology they're using to do all this magic on your Xbox. So it's cool. It's awesome. It's like forward thinking and it's fun, right? But at the same time, it's like, I'm thinking of the same Xbox that in 2015 was like, you guys bitched and moaned. We said it couldn't happen. Boom, here's backwards compatibility on your Xbox One. I'm wondering if at some point Xbox needs to have a moment like that where it's like, listen, we said you had to have these expansion cards because because quick resume and we had to keep the integrity of the new console's features and all that. But fuck it. We have a new solution. You can now turn off quick resume on your console 
which will allow you to install any Xbox Series X or S game onto any hard drive with varying performance, depending on which one you buy in terms of its speed. Um, but fuck it. If you guys want to be able to buy $60, $70 external hard drives and plug that up to your Series X, by all means, go ahead and do it. We've, we've done the technical wizardry through this update to allow your Xbox to do that. I don't think it would really work that way because then we're talking about plugging like a ridiculous, like a just a generic hard drive and, and relying on NVMe storage. Like you can't do that. I'm sure it's more like an external NVMe drive. But, you know, just something like that. Some kind of update where like at least more generic or standard issue SSDs would be accept, accepted by your Series X and S just to help help players have more options that are affordable to expand their storage. Um, because by forcing quick resume and by forcing these proprietary options down people's throats, you're just kind of pricing so many of your people out of the market of expanding their console storage. And that's not very pro-consumer. It's not very putting players at the center of the universe like Phil Spencer really wants to do so badly. He wants to get us all the way deep down to the, the Earth's mantle underneath the crust of the Earth and get us into the center of it all. So I don't know. Just a couple like little thoughts I have going there. Um, I do hope or wonder, I guess, at the very least, if maybe that's something they're considering is ever kind of busting open the console a little bit and, and letting it be more compatible with some uh, more generic and general kind of SSD offerings for external solutions. Uh, but also, I hope I hope we continue to see more of these like Western digital and competing kind of versions of this proprietary technology Xbox has with Seagate so that at the very least, you know, get a couple of different brands in there. Maybe Samsung makes one or something. You get like four or five competitors making one, and then it can hopefully drive cost of these down a bit. And uh, that'd be great to maybe see these at least get down to like 150, 140 bucks. Because I feel like that's like the sweet spot. You know, if you have to pay for something that's overpriced and proprietary, like maybe 150 bucks for a one terabyte card, you know, it's like maybe then you can be like, okay, okay, it's expensive. But I, I'll bite. I'll save up. I'll, I'll budget for it. I'll make it happen, you know? So whatever. This is a step in the right direction. You know, I'm, I'm much more likely to buy one now that's 180 bucks for this Western Digital version than I was when it was 220 for the Seagate version. But at the same time, this Western Digital version still hasn't technically been announced or released yet, so we're just waiting. But I assume this is all but confirmed. I mean, I'm, I'm clicking on the link here on Best Buy, and they have removed the page for it. But Best Buy would not accidentally put a make-believe product up for sale on their storefront. You know, like, that's, that's not how that works. If it accidentally went up on Best Buy's website, um, it's because the product is real and exists but it wasn't supposed to go live yet so just have to wait for more interest on that hey phil spencer was teasing other little kind of surprises and little uh, announcements between now and their summer showcase and maybe something like this you know as silly as it is could be one of those announcements who knows so just had to stand by and wait for confirmations very possible this will get confirmed uh, two hours after this podcast goes live tomorrow so whatever all right second story here and really the only other notable story but one that definitely has me uh, interested from windows central that's right i do have access to some other websites from windows central gaming tech company asus unveiled a handheld gaming device called the rog ally on saturday this past week asus um, also, some people say Asus. I think it's Asus is how you're supposed to say it. I don't know. Uh, they also shared a Best Buy page with the ROG Ally, though new, no details have been listed, so there's nothing you can do with it. You can't really buy it or pre-order it yet. The handheld gaming device will likely compete with the Steam Deck. It has a similar form factor and allows players to enjoy games on the go. The well-known tech YouTuber Dave Lee, a.k.a. Dave2D, as well as other famous YouTuber Linus Tech Tips, spent a week with the device and have uploaded videos of their first impressions. Uh, Dave Lee 
was not able to be uh, to share benchmark information or certain specs on the device, but his video includes some important details about the device. Namely, ROG claims that the Ally will deliver double the performance of the Steam Deck, and ROG Ally will run custom 4 nanometer APU Zen 4 chip with RDNA 3. Lee said that the claims appear to be true based on his testings with the device. While the device features a 7-inch touchscreen that's better than uh, that of the Steam Deck in several ways, Asus has not shared any pricing information for the device or timeline as to when it will come out. All right, although they have they have promised and said to uh, the influencers and YouTubers that they uh, are aiming for very competitive pricing and did not elaborate. So maybe try to hit around where the Steam Deck is, maybe even undercut it a bit. I don't know how that would go, but uh, exciting. I, I like ROG. I like Asus. I think they make cool shit. I like their ROG phone, Republic of Gamers. For those who don't know, Asus, mostly associated, I guess, with the PC space. They're a gaming tech company, kind of like Razer. They make, like, PC accessories, keyboards, mouse, things like that. They also make a smartphone, like an Android gamer phone that's really fucking cool. Has a little, like, display thing on the back and lights. <clears throat> I, I like this company. I think they're I think they're cool. They make some interesting shit. I just always appreciate flashy, ridiculous, unnecessary, cool stuff like this. And I, I think their brand exudes that kind of in the way that um, Razer does. And I, I admire that. This device looks literally like a Steam Deck, but a little slimmer and with more of an Xbox kind of button layout. And uh, I 100% am here for it, man. I watched the Linus Tech Tips video, actually, and uh, was really pleased just kind of by like what it appeared like they're showing off and what we're getting here. And I, I'm curious to see when we're going to find out about pricing and release date information because I know I, I, I talked and talked about I might buy that Razer Edge Android phone Xbox cloud gaming thing. But this thing is way more up my alley where it's like kind of the best of what that device was, but also being a Windows 11 based device instead of an Android based device. So here's the rub. Like it's it's not the Steam Deck, but it's, 11, it's a Windows 11 based device gaming portable you'll have xcloud and be able to run your steam uh steam app and all these things so it can do what your steam deck does um but just be a little more generalized and, and less you know valve steam specific so i i love this idea for this device this is much more of my alley because it just looks a little more compact a little more ergonomical a little more comfortable for someone looking to maybe play their xbox in bed not necessarily play their pc in their hands and uh I, I don't know just it looks cool i think obviously steam deck needs competitors in order to keep it kind of on its toes and this form factor alone is just selling me just because god it has the off-axis analog sticks it doesn't have the weird nintendo wii u kind of setup that the steam deck has it's a lot slimmer and narrower and uh just overall looks pretty damn good so um i don't have too much to say about this other than i wonder again we kind of talked about this at the top of the show PlayStation, PSVR 2, should Xbox have ever done VR? What do you guys think? You know, for a long time, especially back in the days of the 360 and, and such, you know, PSP, PS Vita, Nintendo DS, Nintendo 3DS, a lot of that conversation Xbox was like, why doesn't Xbox do a portable? Why doesn't Xbox do a portable? I think this is one of those things where in today's world, it's like, oh, it's a good thing Xbox never did a portable because that probably wouldn't still be around. But you see, like, these kinds of Steam Deck devices and such, and they just... It's, it's like other people making Xbox portables for Microsoft because Xbox's, you know, cloud storming, cloud streaming solutions and Game Pass subscription service and just their nature of just being PC centric and PC uh, compliant, you know, as by way of being a Microsoft product. It just makes Xbox gaming so ideal on the go for these portable handheld devices. And that's super awesome. And I really, really 
appreciate that it's like the patience has kind of been rewarded because we've waited all these years and we are kind of finally getting that Xbox handheld without having to rely on Microsoft to really have to do the labor and distract from the main project of Xbox in order to get something like this done. So I, I guess from that perspective, I'm just a fan of the, this idea of these portable Xbox or X cloud devices, these windows based gaming tablets that can do steam and all that good shit. And, um, I like the Steam Deck. I, I feel like it was going to be kind of an inevitability that at one point I would cave in and buy one. I was just kind of hoping that something more attractive would come along, and I feel like this looks to be exactly that. So I'm going to continue to keep a close eye on this. I, I know I said that's what I was going to do with the Razer uh, Edge, um, but now I'm saying that about about the ROG Ally, and uh, I, I encourage you to look this up. If you're, if you're holding down on Steam Deck, but you're interested in this kind of segment of the market, I think this is going to kind of serve that niche in a lot of way for people who are more Xbox-centric but are interested in things like Steam Deck but want something that's a little more portable, a little less uh, cumbersome, uh, but still not making any big compromises. This seems to be it. It has these little paddle buttons on the back, but otherwise it's basically just the same loadout as like your standard Xbox controller, and uh, the device looks really good. So I recommend you take a look at uh, Dave TUD's or, uh, or Linus Tech Tips video on the device and, and see what you think. But ultimately, you know, the, you know, as as we wait for games like Diablo to come out or Minecraft Legends and stuff, these games are gonna be so ideal for this kind of device. Or if you want to just lay in bed and stream your Xbox to your device instead of uh, sit on the couch because life's too hard. You know, it's like it's really nice to have these kinds of devices. And I think uh, clearly the market is proving that there's a huge demand for stuff like this. So, all right, guys. So that's that's gonna do it for now. Some wrap up stories real quick. Games with gold. Uh, for April, we have our Games of Gold titles announced. Uh, and yes, as always, it's disappointing. Subscribers will be able to claim co-op strategy game Out of Space Couch Edition through the whole month of April. And then from April 16th to May 15th, players will also be able to claim Puzzle Adventure Peaky Blinders Mastermind based on the BBC TV show. So there's that. Uh, more interestingly, from Xbox uh, Wire, we've got some Game Pass updates. So... This week, available now, Loop Hero is on console and PC through Game Pass. And then coming soon, actually the day this goes live, Iron Brigade will come to cloud console and uh, as well. So Iron Brigade, in, relevant to Xbox, is uh, actually a, a game that was formerly known as Trenched. But this is a 2011 game developed by Double Fine, the X, now Xbox-owned studio. It was published by Microsoft Studios back in the day before they even owned this team. It was a Xbox Live Arcade downloadable title for the 360, and it's it's kind of cool. It's like a 3D tank 1950s aesthetic inspired uh, like tower defense game, and it looks like a lot of fun. And uh, it's it's cool that it's coming to a cloud and console. It's another like kind of deep cut Xbox, I guess, first party game if you want to look at it now that way since. Xbox was always the publisher of it, and Double Fine was always the developer, and now one is owned by the other, so I guess it's technically a first-party indie title, if you want to call it that, and uh, now it's coming to Xbox through Game Pass, so it's it's being brought forward, so that's pretty cool, pretty notable. Um, also notable, of course, next week on April 12th, Ghostwire Tokyo comes to Cloud Console and PC. I'm very excited about that. I'm trying to clear up my schedule so I can be available for that game. That is my next game. I've got my eyes set on, and I cannot wait to jump in. And also on April 13th, NHL 23 comes to console through EA Play. And lastly, the week after next week, on April 18th, Minecraft Legends comes to cloud console and PC, available day one with Game Pass, of course. And that is another game I'm very much looking forward to. Between Minecraft and Ghostwire Tokyo, those are my big April games I can't wait to get into. So 
It's not always all good news, though. We are losing a couple games. So on April 15th, the following titles will leave Game Pass, starting with Life is Strange True Colors, leaving Cloud Console and PC. I need to go back and finish that before that happens so I can wrap it up. Moon Glow Bay on Cloud Console and PC, Panzer Corp 2, Rainbow Six Extraction, Dungeons, uh, sorry, The Dungeon of Nate Dehulbeck, whatever, The Long Dark and Rift Breaker. Long Dark's been on Game Pass forever, so that's crazy. But yeah, all leaving on April 15th, so make sure you download now before they're gone forever, and then your mom will call you a loser because you didn't download Life is Strange, True Colors. All right, that's it for all of our main news, guys. Real quick, let's move over to the important enough news. These are stories important enough to be the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, which we will rattle off real quick. Starting, and they're all from VGC, you know that. Starting with uh, Microsoft have announced a new wireless controller remix special edition. Created in celebration of Earth Day this month, Microsoft says the controller features uh, recovered plastics with one-third of it made from regrind and reclaimed materials. Launching on April 18th and available for pre-order now for $85 US, the controller is the result of Xbox exploring ways to use less new plastic and reduce waste when creating accessories. Next up, Konami have opened up a new studio in Osaka, Japan, which it calls Major Production Center. Konami Osaka Studio is located in Osaka Umeda Twin Towers South Business Center, in case you're looking to visit, uh, and will follow the mantra, creators first, according to Konami. The company says that its new studio is characterized by a well-developed environment and creators can demonstrate their full potential and is set up in location with convenient transportation access. Wow, I wish we did that in America. They added, quote, it's a major production center in Western Japan. The facility is fully equipped with motion capture equipment and sound studios necessary for product product development. This is actually a little more notable than to be put in this segment where I put it. I just don't have much to say on it. But Konami is getting back into game development. After taking a break and really just going dark for a while, they are coming back. So, you know, if you're looking for that Metal Gear Solid remake or whatever that people have been rumored about forever, if you're looking for them to come back and do something new, make a 3D Castlevania, whatever, it's happening. I don't know if it's happening from these guys, but Konami is back. And they are, they're getting back into the game's industry. And I think that's great because... We need more prominent Japanese publishers and developers, and having an OG like Konami come back is, I think, really, uh, really powerful and really helpful for the whole industry. So this is good news. This is exciting news, and welcome back, Konami. I know people hate you for what happened with Kojima, but on the whole, we, we need Konami, so cool. And lastly, Legacy, sorry, Legendary Entertainment has purchased the film and TV rights for Street Fighter. According to Hollywood Reporter, the Dune and Godzilla vs. King Kong production company will work with Street Fighter owner Capcom on future adaptations because that's something we really, really, really need. Um, okay, cool. Whatever. That's it for all these small news, news news, blues clues, uh, all that stuff. With that said, guys, let's round out the podcast this week with our favorite, our best, our most exciting, our most important content and portion of the show, the comments. You know how it works. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. That's at Xbox on podcast on YouTube. And you click on the latest episode of the podcast, not episode 132. So cute. Click on the latest episode. Hey, leave a comment. You can say something mean like Jesse, you're dumb. You can say something else like three rings are red. Ponies are blue. The news is from VGC, but I heard it from you. And I will say that's a wonderful poem. I appreciate you saying it, but anything you say, you decide to write in with, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and we'll read it here on the show. Please leave iTunes reviews and all the rest. But for now, just your commentary, your presence here in the comment section is all that's truly requested or, or wished for on, on on behalf of me, from you, to us. Thank you. All right. Stop having an aneurysm and stroke at the same time and get into our first comment, which comes from uh, our new co-host, Burn Feeling, who says, 
If you knew how many times I pause the podcast just to add commentary every time I disagree or want to correct facts, it's not even fun. Maybe I could be the perfect co-host for you, a French-Canadian who never visited Disney or Taco Bell. In the meantime, I'm going to correct you for free. No worries. And congrats on 200 episodes. Well, thank you, Burn Feeling. Um, I ha- Listen, man, I have no problem uh, you know, having a, a free uh, co-host, uh, corrector person of interest, but the fact that you've never been to Disney, you never had Taco Bell, and you're French-Canadian, that's three strikes, you're out. Sorry, Burn burn Feeling. Uh, you burned yourself on that one, but I appreciate you writing in, and feel free to keep the corrections coming. I know the feeling of sometimes yelling at your car or yelling at your phone as you're listening to a podcast because you're like, you motherfucker, you said that wrong, or like, oh, you forgot this thing, so I, I know the feeling, so I'm glad I was able to connect, create that feeling for someone else in this world. It just means that I, too, am capable of being an absolute mutant, and uh, it, it warms my heart. So, burn feeling, thanks for writing in. Thanks for being your true, authentic self, whatever that means, and I uh, hope you're having a great week. All right, fun anecdote time. Sam Torres writes in, you may know this guy as the guy who has a much bigger brain and penis than you, so you're dumb, and he's awesome. So listen up to what he has to say. You might even learn a thing or two. He says, Jesse, brilliant work on ferreting out Taco Bell menu items and, and surprises. I actually don't know this word. Let's look it up. Ferreting, not the animal. Uh, noun, the activity of hunting with ferrets, typically for rabbits. All right, well... I guess I get it. Context, right? Hunting around the Taco Bell menu. Anyway, Jesse, brilliant work on ferreting around, ferreting out the Taco Bell menu items surprises. I was picking my kids up from Megacon last week and hit up the Taco Bell near SeaWorld for sustenance on the iDrive Friday night. Uh, traffic and composed the order of spicy potato taco with added beef along with bean burrito, sour cream, extra onions because bad breath has got to have a crunch. It was great. As cruel as Taco Bell can be with having, uh, with leaving menu items that don't begin with steak out to die, like Chihuahua, what? Under the slow-moving tricycle, this won't last. So, in your honor, I'm taking my next 20 passengers to Taco Bell drive-thru and getting them, uh, getting this for them. Uh, <laughs> my only words will be, thank Jesse. Lego 2K Drive looks awesome, uh, looks sensational. I believe you nailed it again. We need fun. Sam, thank you for writing in. I told you guys he was smart. He has a big brain, big BB. Um, so thank you for writing in again. Appreciate you, man. A couple notes. First of all, bean burrito with sour cream, extra onions. Listen, the bean burrito, I've never been able to be a bean burrito purveyor. I've tried. It's one of those things like every couple of years I'll try it and I'll be like, this isn't it for me. It's just too mushy. Like I need, I need some, I don't mind the mushiness. It's just, I need, I need something else. I don't like having beans be the star, I guess is the problem, but I'm glad you're finding love in it. Listen, onions on everything. Who gives a shit about bad breath? Onions are so good. Let, let me let me give a little shout out to raw onions. Raw onions are the fucking most goaded thing for cooking, for eating, for I guess they're not raw if you cook with them, but you know, for just fucking onions in general, dude. Onions are so essential. You got to throw them in everything. Good addition. Sour cream? Hell yeah. But anyway, backing up a little bit. I'm going to give a special shout out Megacon, the little uh, the little like nerd anime video game TV, video game, whatever convention thing in Orlando. Cool. Here's the thing. You mentioned the SeaWorld next to uh, the SeaWorld Taco Bell near uh, near iDrive. That's not on iDrive. That's on Central Florida Parkway, right? Yeah. Where iDrive and Central Florida Parkway connect, but it's on, it's on Central Florida Parkway across the street from SeaWorld. I know exactly the location you're talking about. It's the green, purplish, blue SeaWorld. Yeah, it's like the green, blue one next to the Wawa. It's like two shades of blue, actually. Whatever. Shout out to that, that Taco Bell because that is one of the best Taco Bells. 
I've ever been to. I've only been to it like two or three times because I'm not in that area a whole lot. I used to work very close to that area, but I don't currently work around there. Um, but holy hell, dude, that is like one of the best Taco Bells I've ever been to. It's been a few years. I don't know if maybe COVID fucked that Taco Bell up to high hell or something. But every time I walk in there, staff, way friendlier than I need them to be. And not like creepy uh, Chick-fil-A friendly, but just like, hi, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to fuck up your order and I'm not going to be terribly mean to you. Um, kind of friendly, uh, store super clean inside the paint scheme they have. That's kind of like matching SeaWorld in the area is really fun. And they always get the order right. hundred percent of the time, like perfectly on point. Everything's made to perfection. That is like my favorite Taco Bell. So shout out to the SeaWorld Taco Bell. It's not in SeaWorld. It's across the street from SeaWorld. Also shout out to that area. That's like one of the better areas of Orlando that I feel like no one ever talks about. Still, like, one of the only areas where you can find homes that are only mildly outrageously priced. Anyway, all all that aside, thank you for hanging in. Thank you for your Taco Bell takes. Thank you for taking your kids to Megacon and for not making them walk home. And most importantly, if your friends don't like the beef spicy potato taco, do not tell them, thank Jesse. Tell them to thank my fact-checking corrector, Burn Feeling who is French-Canadian and has never been to Taco Bell. All right, next up, Cody Pavon writes in and says, Wee, 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 Jesse, congrats on 200 episodes. Jesse, big milestone indeed. Episode 200 has to honestly be my favorite installment of Xbox on to date. And I have to say that you may have opened my third eye by suggesting the spicy potato taco from Taco Bell by adding beef. In this age of inflation, I'm always looking for cheaper ways to enhance my fast food meal. And you may have found the ultimate Taco Bell cheat code. Props to you in 200 episodes. And here's to 200 more. Uh, here, here, Mr. Cody. I appreciate the write-in. I appreciate the uh, thanks. Here's the thing. Is I'm worried because a lot of you guys are writing in about this beefy, spicy potato taco. And I'm hoping that you guys actually enjoyed it more than I did. Because, again, like I said, I liked it. I'm glad I tried it. And I, I wouldn't mind having it again in the future. But it wasn't as uh, revolutionary as I was hoping it would be. So uh, I'm hoping you guys are enjoying it more. But I am determined to try it again. Instead of beef, do chicken. And then add sour cream and tomatoes to that and i think that should that should do or hell you can add some raw onions to that sam torres and that that'd probably be good too it's good good recommendation all right anyway thank you cody thank you sam appreciate your time and yes in this age of inflation we all need some fast food hacks to help feed us nourish us keep our cholesterol and uh and blood pressure high and uh yeah 200 more episodes of xbox on hell yeah let's make it to 400 all right, a couple of you guys wrote in speaking of the 200 episodes, so I want to read your comments just to thank you for thanking me and for participating and being a part of this crazy, crazy thing they call life. Uh, Heinz Dampf writes in, I'm so sorry, Heinz, I'm so sorry. I, I fucking hate my inability to pronounce shit, even though I have access to the alphabet. Uh, congratulations on your 200th episode, you beautiful B-start. Uh, so much respect for the work you put into the podcast every damn week. I cannot forget how you said on episode 132 that you can't see yourself working in the media industry. Uh, man, there are a lot of writers way worse than you out there, so I could totally see that. Anyway, cheers from Germany and to the next 200 episodes. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, this one's a little too like too kind for me to really linger on and say much of anything to because it just feels like I'm patting myself on the back. But I, I greatly appreciate the kindness, man. I appreciate the support. Uh, again, I would definitely not have done this 200 weeks in a row if, uh, if I didn't know there are people listening in. And it's always especially uh, encouraging and awesome when I hear from, you know, from people like you or, or, or burn feeling when you guys are like, Hey, I'm listening from uh, Canada or Germany or 
Uh, heaven forbid, forbid the UK where they all hate me because they don't have a sense of humor or soul. Um, it, it's just it's just cool to know that this, for whatever reason, this podcast has reached outside the uh, the domain of the USA. So yeah, it's fun. It's cool. It's it's fun how we can all be connected by things we enjoy like Xbox instead of being divided by things like does does pineapple belong on pizza? What a, what an overrated conversation. We don't have to have that. We don't. Have to, shh, not right now, beautiful prince. All right. So hope you're having a great week. Take care. Beautiful man. Cronky writes in and says, happy 200th episode to the Xbox on VGC podcast, which I said they literally couldn't have done it without me. Uh, Dead Captain James says, congrats on 200, Jesse. Can't believe it's been four years since I started watching. Dead Captain James, first of all, you're you're my OG, so thank you. You're 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 the most important. If I could only survive, if I could only save one of you guys, if Boulder was crashing and Green Goblin was gonna no, if it was like Spider Man and one of you guys is Mary Jane and the rest of you are in the little the trolley red car cable car thing and all and Green Goblin's got both of you and he's gonna drop you both and I can only save one. Dead Captain James, you're Mary Jane Watson, and I'm coming for you, baby. That's all I got to say about that. All right. My mom writes in and says, congrats on 200. I'm so happy for you. I love listening. Thank you, Mom. Love you. All right. And then, as always, the last comment is reserved specially for our baby boy who is no less better than you. He's no less gooder than you. He is the best boy. He is the best for last boy. He is headhunting Halo, and he says... It is sad that E3 is dying. I always loved it. I always uh, took off work for the whole day. It was for me and my TV. I loved it. And why did you have to go? Uh, I feel like it will be back in the future. I think they're just taking a second to rewind themselves instead of getting years ahead of themselves. Hopefully I'm right. The good news is Super Mario uh, movie. Yes, please. It, 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 it is bad. I want to watch the Barbie movie as well. Is it bad? No, the Barbie movie looks awesome. I think everyone should see the Barbie movie. Clearly everyone seems pretty hyped on it. So there's nothing wrong with that. The Mario movie, um, I'm I'm curious to see that as well. So um, listen, let's just be optimistic. Let's just be blind consumers. Let's make everything a movie and let's just have fun and watch it. Capitalize on my nostalgia, please. While I wait for my next 3D Mario game, I will gladly go see the Mario movie. And the Barbie movie uh, actually looks better than the Mario movie, so I'll definitely see that as well. Uh, but as for E3, I got to be honest, Headhunting Halo, and I hate to burst your bubble, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're right and I'm wrong. But the thing about the E3 conundrum, it's not really about what the ESA or ReadPop wants to do. It's about what they can pull because they're entirely beholden to getting these other game publishers and these other companies to agree to participate in E3. And if they can't convince these parties to participate, then they can't do E3 or at least not in the way they traditionally have. So it's not really about whether or not they try to do E3. It's about whether or not they can convince these guys to come back and do it again, you know? And the past couple of years without E3... I think what, you know, the companies we've seen fall out, Ubisoft, Tencent, Sega, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo. I think what these guys have observed over the years, you know, Activision, Blizzard, EA, everyone. What they've observed over the year, I think even Devolver Digital had a fucking presentation back uh, back uh, during the last few E3s. But what, they, what they've learned is that their bottom line is unaffected whether or not they're at E3 or not. Whether they're spending money on the showroom floor and getting a stage and doing a presentation or just doing some online live stream from their YouTube page. Their bottom line is unaffected. Not only that, but it is incredibly cost time consuming and financially costly for these publishers to and developers to um, to make these vertical slices uh, for these E3 demos. For those who don't know, basically, you know, when you see a game running like an in-game demo or whatever at E3, 
that's what they call a vertical slice. It is it is a game that is largely developed, not finished, and they take an aspect, a slice of the game, a bit of the game, to showcase, and they do a special build of the game, and it can take months, and they have a team dedicated to polishing up and refining and trying to make that little slice, that vertical slice of the game, look and play as refined and finished and complete as humanly possible, so that even though the whole game is still in development for another year or two or whatever, they have this little slice of the game that they can bring over to E3 and be like, here is Gears of War 7 running an engine. Here's level three. At this point in the game, Marcus Phoenix has lost his favorite pen and he's on a mission to find this pen. He could have swore it fell under his desk, but it's seemingly not there. And then they can do like a 10 minute gameplay demo showing you Gears of War 7 running in action. And so that's called a vertical slice that's insanely expensive and time consuming for developers and publishers to put out because again games cost a lot of money to make and you're trying to get these games out the door in a timely fashion and if you have to take a large portion of your development team and say you guys fuck off for six months and you're going to work on a a vertical slice to be ready for e3 next summer that's a really bad use of resources when you could just continue to work on your game build out a very controlled video game trailer at some point in time for much less money and much easier, much quicker. And then relay that message to your audience whenever you see fit, because you don't fucking need E3 to show your game off. You can just have it YouTube channel where you're just like, here's the EA games, digital showcase event, summer 2024, whatever. You can just do whatever you want because that's how these things are done. That's Nintendo set the precedent with the Nintendo direct back in the day. And now everyone has finally followed suit. And I think for that reason, E3 is dead. It's just dead, you know? Like, we don't we don't need a guy to come out and shake his hands nervously and be like, I'm here to play this demo for you. Here's a game I, I've been working on forever. Like, that's endearing. Like, you think about, like, Yarny at, at that E3 uh, in 2017, 18, whatever it was, at, at the EA stage. It was so endearing. That developer that walked out, and he was super nervous, and he was, like, shaking and so excited and nervous to share this game he'd been working on. Those are the moments from E3 that we missed, right? They were endearing. They were sweet. They were kind of cringy and embarrassing a little bit, but it was just – it was all the good feelings. It felt raw. It felt personal. It felt authentic, and we don't get that stuff anymore in these stale, sterile, pre-recorded – robotic little presentations we get where it's like, God, I think the Nintendo ones are so bad. Like, do, 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 do. And there's like some little robot voiceover. It's like, next, we have an awesome game from level five. And it's like, I'm anime and I'm running really fast. It's like, eh, I'm anime and I'm being ran at, I guess. And then it's just like, Project Rectangle Zero X. And then everyone's like, oh my God, I'm going to buy it. And then you find out it sold 40 million fucking copies on Switch. And everyone's like, I'm a huge Animal Crossing fan. I love Mario. I love Rectangle Square X. I love Kingdom Hearts. I love Zelda. And then we're over here on Xbox like, can we just get a Quantum Break 2? We got a trailer for that Fable game. Is it ever actually coming out? What the fuck's Rare working on? They, they showed some fucking cel-shaded um, purple uh, the reindeer drinking water a couple years back. We haven't heard about that. What's that game doing now? And, and and that's the circle of life, baby. It just keeps going round and round and round, and then Nintendo makes all the money. So, yep. <sighs> Classic Xbox on response. I think that'd do me well in a political debate. Anyway, with that said, thank you for writing in Headhunting Halo. Be sure to vote for me. And uh, vote for this podcast. If you listen to podcasts uh, like this one, you can go over to iTunes or Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, whatever. Leave ratings. Give five stars or more. If there's ability to leave more than five stars, then do that. Why not do that, you know? And uh, leave nice comments. 
uh, I actually wrote that 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 poem earlier. I'm going to read it. I was I was very proud of it, especially the first two lines. I was I was like patting myself on the back. My girlfriend did not seem to be paying attention or thinking it was very funny, but I said three rings are red, ponies are blue. The news is from VGC, but I heard it from you. And that's those are the kinds of comments you can leave in the in the reviews. Five stars. Thank you very much. I haven't checked the. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't know if you're leaving reviews because I. I I was so hurt when I read the UK reviews on iTunes for this podcast that I was like, I don't think I want to read <laughs> reviews anymore. <laughs> and so it's been like over a year. I have not checked the reviews, but I hope you guys are leaving nice comments because it helps the show grow. It helps new people find it so that we can ruin other people's lives with this monstrosity of a podcast. And uh, anyway, even if you don't choose to do any of that, I just hope you enjoyed it and had a good time. So thank you for being here today. Thank you guys for 201 episodes of this train wreck of a show. And uh, until next week, take care of yourselves. Eat some yummy food. Modify your favorite uh, menu items at Taco Bell. Make that uh, make that underpaid fast food worker's job just that much more miserable because you because you overly carried your Taco Bell order. Uh, be sure to spend some time playing the games you love with the people you love. Stretch. It's really important you stretch. Don't want to have a bad back when you're older. And uh, until next week, for the love of God, power your dreams. (laughs) 